Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. What makes a property something that you want to take on rather than just pass off? Is there like some kind of number you have to hit specifically? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I learned a lot from Tony Nago, who you guys both know, he was on the podcast two episodes ago. Yeah. And hearing, like looking at Tony now is like looking at myself in the future, what it could be if I make smart decisions. So my mindset has been, let me acquire as many properties as I can right now while still keeping my business going and still making sure that everyone that's in my business can eat and we can eat and live our lifestyle. So the flipping and the wholesaling pays the bills. It keeps the company going, lets everyone thrive. Um, But any surplus, if I see a deal that I could take down and do a full burr and keep a hundred grand in equity, I don't even need to make money today on it. I'm okay doing that deal if I just break even on it. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 19 of Realize Gains Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, and I'm a mortgage lender based in the Portland area, and I'm licensed in about 10 states. And yeah, and I'm Stephen Tran. I am an Oregon realtor, and I'm a multifamily investor, short-term rentals. And uh, we had a really great guest today. It's, you know, sorry, Jordan, you were sick, <laughs> but you missed out on a great interview. We interviewed Scott Dallinger. Oh yeah, wholesaler, right? Yes, local wholesaler. Uh, kind of went through the entire process of what that looks like and mm. why he's doing that and why he built his entire business about around wholesale instead of being a realtor. Yeah, what's the just for the quick? What's the difference between a wholesale and retail versus a realtor? Well, I guess you're just gonna have to listen and find I out. Have to listen and find out, right? <laughs> All right, check it out. Hey guys, welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I'm Alex Fan, and today we're with Scott Dallinger from Coast to Coast House Buyers, and today we're gonna talk about wholesaling. Hey guys, excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, happy to have you. Yeah. Uh, Why don't we just kind of just jump in and can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the company? Yeah, so I um, am from California originally. I moved to Portland at the tail end of 2018. And before wholesaling, I had a corporate career and did a few different things in sales generally and started wholesaling in 2019 and uh, did my first deal towards the beginning of 2019. And We've been wholesaling ever since and have since started to flip houses and do some other things, done rentals. But I have a wife named Alejandra who works in my business and she's from South America, which is where we met. I have uh, two kids. I have a baby girl who's four months old, Amelia, and then George. George is my two-year-old son. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. For those listeners that aren't familiar, what is wholesaling? So wholesaling, I call it the art of finding deeply discounted properties, direct to seller. Now, most people, when they think of wholesaling, they are thinking of what we call signing the contract. So a wholesaler gets a piece of property, a house, uh, we call it inventory. And then we try to find a cash buyer who wants to buy that from us. 
and then we'll assign the contract to them and get paid out at closing. Wow. My new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, Alex loves, you know, he gets a bunch of his properties from wholesalers yeah, too. Yeah, I've, so. I've purchased, I think, five properties through the wholesale market. Uh, I'm not a whole, I'm a licensed real estate agent for our new listeners. And uh, I've subscribed to some of these lists, uh, these wholesale lists. Uh, from companies like Scotts here, and uh, yeah, they're they're priced generally. I would, I you know, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit deeper, but there's always a, a spread in it, right? There's always some numbers that some meat on the bone still for us to make it worth it. But why don't why don't you talk take us through kind of uh, the wholesale process and explain generally how it works? Yeah, so like I said, we focus on finding off-market deals and that's what wholes like what a good wholesaler should be doing there's a lot of people out there that have tried to or created businesses based on finding buyers for other people's deals but a true wholesaler or wholesale operation goes out they find their own deal through direct to seller marketing and then they match that deal through what we call the disposition process where you <clears throat> advertise not the property because that's brokering or uh, doing real estate without a license, but you advertise your assignable purchase contract to buy a house at a certain price that's well, well below market value. So then you advertise that deal to cash buyers and then try to you know make a spread there. So if I could give an example, it would be, let's say if we could negotiate a deal that we think is going to be worth $450,000 fixed up, right? And maybe we think that this needs $50,000 in renovations. Us as wholesalers, we're going to be attempting to lock this thing up probably somewhere around as close as we can to $200,000. And maybe we'll get it for $250,000 and we will mark it up, right? So if we could get something for $250,000 with a deal like that, we may mark it up or advertise it for $275,000, $299,000. And you don't know what that spread is yet. You're just seeing a off-market deal that's not on the MLS. It's only from this wholesaler. And you see an advertise for two ninety nine. So you know you run your numbers, and you may think you know that's a great deal for this house's neighborhood. I could put in fifty thousand dollars. I'm into it for three fifty. Sell it for four fifty after fees and closing costs and hard money. I'm making a sixty thousand dollar profit. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, practicing with a real estate license. So do wholesalers have real estate licenses? Uh, some do, some don't. We don't. And most people I know in Oregon do not. There are some states passing regulations where it's now become necessary. If you want to wholesale, you have to have a real estate license. But uh, I, I don't want another job. That's why I don't get mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know that there's benefits to having a real estate license when it comes to wholesaling. Yeah. You know, a lot of my friends tell me I should get one, not because of any legality stuff, but if I had a license, because we also close on a lot of properties that we fix and flip and keep as rentals. I could actually take a commission and then have money paid to me at closing that I could then either use for renovations, put in my bank, or use to pay commissions to my salespeople. Um, we can't do that. So if we don't get any money at closing, you know, it's, it's all out of pocket. But that would be a big benefit. But you know, the reason I, I, I just know myself, if I had my license, I would list my own houses and that creates more work for me. It creates another job. I'm really trying to be just like solely focused on wholesaling. Okay. What made you decide to do wholesaling? Um, you know, I think like the reason everyone gets into real estate, at, le at least real estate investing, is we all want freedom. Yeah. We all, we all want freedom over our time, over our destiny. We want to be able to uh, 
in my case, I wanted to get out of um, a situation where my income was capped. So I had a really great job that I loved before I got into real estate investing. I was a national salesperson. I would travel across the North America to Canada and like, I, I love traveling, right? So if you're telling me, okay, you have to go to the, to the Northeast for a week, I would hit Montreal, I'd hit Boston, Philadelphia, New York and see customers and dine out and it was all paid for. And I really loved that. Um, but with the amount of money that I was earning, it was not enough to really thrive with where I was living. So, you know, we, it was a good salary for the, for Tennessee, which is where the company was based out of, but I lived in Southern California. Oh yeah. Ouch. And, uh, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, I was always going to be a renter at that salary. So I tried to, you know, um, lift my commission cap and renegotiate and they weren't having any of it. So I just made a decision, um, that, you know, I'm just going to move on and, and graduate to real estate investing. So while I was working that job, I simultaneously uh, bought a course and started taking the course on wholesaling and implementing the lessons and setting up my business and uh, ultimately did my first deal that enabled me to leave the corporate career. But wow. it was really just, uh, it wasn't so much that I didn't like the work. I loved the work. I just wanted financial, ultimate financial freedom. Um, yeah. What was the overlap on that with your working and doing the wholesaling? Like, how long did you do a little bit of both? Well, it was longer than you might think because for a full year, almost a full year in 2018, when I was in California, I did both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, I would focus during the day. It was all my corporate job. Um, but I would set up direct mail and stuff during the nights, and then those calls would come in during the day. I would field them after hours or on my lunch break and uh, do appointments after hours or appointments on the weekend. But I never did a deal. That first year, I didn't do a deal. Wow. It was, uh, you know, I've now have since come to understand that Southern California is a different beast. There's a lot of big companies, like mega, mega companies that are trying to do a lot of marketing to lock up these deals. And yeah, and, you know, probably wasn't as skilled as I am now. And so we didn't do a deal. It wasn't until we came up to Portland, but. Hmm. Uh, once we came up to Portland and did my first deal, I worked for three more months. And then during that time, continued wholesaling, doing more deals. And it was tough. It was tough because, you know, we were starting to make money with wholesaling. I still have my other job and I'm doing two things. Oh, context switching a lot. Yeah, yeah. Context switching. And, you know, it, I felt like my, like I was just going to be totally burned out and fried if I continued to do that. So mm -hmm. I took a leap of faith and said, you know, I'm trusting in myself, my own abilities and God that I'm going to be able to continue to bring in money if I make this switch. Yeah. Stephen and I both have similar experiences in that where Stephen just recently, you know, I'd say more recently than me, but uh, he left a full-time, you know, corporate job as a software engineer yeah. Yeah. in that in between time, right? I, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I was doing both for for about a year and a half, and it nearly killed me. And I think Alex could see it. Yeah, yeah. I, did. <laughs> I could see it wearing on him. And uh, back in the day, I worked at Intel. Yeah, and I worked at graveyard shifts. So as soon as I got out of work at eight a.m., I was on my real estate job yeah. from eight a.m. to sometimes six p.m. doing appointments and showings. I'm like, there were like days where. I got like two hours of sleep yeah. basically, but we're trying to make it, trying to build yeah. up, you know, our skill sets in real estate. So it took, it, it took quite some time before we got to that a, a point, right? Where like you described, you got your first deal and getting that done. And then now you've got a little bit more um, experience to be able to do more and scale more. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's hard. It's hard to do them both at the same time, and it always I, I'm always like surprised and shocked when I meet someone that I you know I see them as a successful investor, and then I find out that they have a full time job and they have for years, and they don't feel like they can quit. And I'm always thinking, well, if you just do one deal, if you just quit today and you just did one deal and made fifty or sixty thousand on it, do you think you could do another? And how many would, deals would one need to do? Yeah in order to replace an income and do that full time, if that's what someone wanted to do. Mm -hmm. People feel, a lot of people feel really trapped that they can't do that. So it's just an interesting uh, well, thing that you see. Yeah, yeah, it is scary. It's pretty scary being an entrepreneur, which is yeah. what we are, right? Being a small business owner, figuring out like where to get the deals, how to get it, you know, uh, and be consistent about it, right? I think many of us are used to being in a in a system if you yes, will, like, yeah you know and working things are handed to you like you know a job where it's like here's your paperwork finish your paperwork we'll pay you for the hour or your salary and now we're in this whole world where oh crap i have to do marketing i have to do accounting i have to do literally everything in, in my business to make it work and all the things that are between departments and between positions we had one the other day uh we have a group chat with my company and there was a, a land lead that came in so the prospector from the Philippines tags my sister who does land and says, see this lead. But I don't think my sister follows that chat. She has her own CRM. So it didn't occur to anybody to contact her to see whether she saw the lead, except for me. So I did, and she had not seen the lead. But those are the types of things that uh, as an employee, you're there to do your job, clock in and clock out. Mm -hmm. And as an owner, you think of everything. And you have to do, you have to do everything at one point or another. Not forever. Mm -hmm. So when we get, but when we get started, we have to do every position in the company. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And then, and then, put in people in place to, 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 uh, to do those. But there's gonna always be things that only the owner's gonna notice. Yep. Yep. Totally. Uh, yeah. And you know, 2018 was not that long ago. And now you have a full blown company, and you know, you were just starting wholesaling then. How did you turn, you know? This, how did you transition from that to starting a whole company with a bunch of employees? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I, I love that question because it doesn't really get talked about a lot on, on podcasts. Is that, that was, I was stuck with doing de deal after deal after deal by myself or mm -hmm. with myself and my wife on my team handling the admin stuff. And, and uh, also I had one guy that I hired, Dylan, who's still with me. And he was doing driving for dollars and started cold calling and stuff. But to get to that next level, uh, I needed a coach. So actually, one of the coaches in a wholesaling course that I would purchased, Zach Booth, he saw potential in me and gave me a call and said, brother, I'm going to bless your life. And I said, okay, what's up? He's like, I'm going to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with you for a year. And uh, I was like, is this, is this free or is it a price? <laughs> <laughs> and there was a price and it was, uh, you know, it was definitely up there and I had to stretch myself and take a leap of faith to do it. But I'm so glad I did because with Zach, I would sit down every two weeks for one hour. It was very regimented. And he uh, basically put me through Navy SEAL training for wholesaling. He got me to set clear goals. He got me to get my KPIs in shape, so key performance indicators, which every wholesaling company needs to be tracking. Mm -hmm. And how to, he, he taught me a lot about leadership, building a team, putting the right people in place, holding people accountable. These are all skills that are completely different skills than 
wholesaling than knowing how to ink a deal for below market value and find a buyer for it. Yeah, I was going to say, that's one hell of a sales pitch. You're going to pay me and you're going to be happy to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it is is a good salesperson. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, uh, I guess, where you're at today. What's your uh, portfolio look like? Sure. So where we're at today is we're, we're still wholesaling. That's still our bread and butter and always will be. Because I feel like all good things come from that, sourcing your own deals. Mm-hmm. So we are still marketing. We're still, I have two salespeople who ink deals and then we make a decision. Do we flip this? Do we wholesale it? Like send it out to our cash buyers or do we want to keep it as a rental? So we're still doing that. I have a project manager who renovates the flips and also renovates stuff that we keep in our personal portfolio. And for our, my portfolio, what that's looking like now is we have about uh, 11, 11 properties Awesome. So that is a mix of some single family houses, mostly around the Portland metro area, uh, a few in different cities around the state, because we never know where our leads are going to come from. And we have a, so we have a couple duplexes and I have a vacation rental in Mount Hood. We're working on a vacation rental right now in Bend. Nice. And uh, I have a ranch in Milwaukee, which could be a good single family rental. We're going to, we're going to try something new and we're going to try to make that a vacation rental. Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, yeah. Okay. You know. I think there's, are there any short-term rental restrictions there? Uh, every city has restrictions. Yeah. Other than Mount Hood, there's none. It's unincorporated Clackamas County. But yeah, we're just going through the process and getting the permit. What, uh, what makes a property something that you want to take on rather than just pass off? Is there like some kind of number you have to hit specifically? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I learned a lot from Tony Nago, who you guys both know. He was mm-hmm. on the podcast two episodes ago. Yeah. And hearing, like, looking at Tony now is like looking at myself in the future, what it could be if I make smart decisions. So my mindset has been, let me acquire as many properties as I can right now while still keeping my business going and still making sure that everyone that's in my business can eat and we can eat and live our lifestyle. So the flipping and the wholesaling pays the bills, it keeps the company going, lets everyone thrive. Um, but any surplus, if I see a deal that I could take down and do a full burr and keep a hundred grand in equity, I don't even need to make money today on it. I'm okay doing that deal if I just break even on it. And obviously the reason is, is because if you look at that five, 10 years in the future, it's going to be cash flowing a heck of a lot of money mm-hmm. in rents. And also the equity will have grown a lot and then you could 1031 exchange it. So it was actually the first time I met Tony, he was explaining that to me at a UFC fight night. He didn't say anything the whole <laughs> night. And I asked him, like, so what do you do? And then he started talking nonstop about his investment strategies. And it just really opened up my mindset. And so now if I see a deal that I'm like, this is a property I would like to hold because of, you know, it's not a funky house. It's pretty straightforward. I'm pretty sure I can make money on this and I could keep at least 100K in equity. Then I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky though because if you think that you can flip it or wholesale it and make a quick 50 or 60 that's a tough decision to make mm-hmm. so it goes back to like long-term goals yeah yeah just like we were before this podcast i was talking about the recent deal i took down it's yeah like, i know the long term i want to hold this but just because we don't want to 
we want to wrap up our other big project we're doing too. We don't want to be holding too much right. <laughs> at, at one time. So how many projects, I, actually going back to Stephen's question, is there a formula? What is the formula on what you decide? I mean, I, I, I heard what you said about making sure we're keeping enough to feed the team, keep yeah. everyone thriving. That's awesome. Um, but is there a, some sort of formula or ratios that you're looking for? For, for the rentals? No. I'm sorry. There's, <laughs> I wish I could give you a, uh, you know, an IRR or something like that, but it's been a lot more gut feel than that. Okay. One of my friends at the beginning of the year last year, we were sitting around the campfire and, you know, we're talking about goals and I was like, I'd like to get a couple rentals this year. If I could do that, I think I'd be doing really well. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Scott Ballinger with your access to deal flow and how much you guys are marketing, you should be able to get 10 rentals this year. No problem. So that was like, whoa. And I started to think about that and that got in, in my mind like a bug and then it became a personal challenge. And then I started to try to do it just so I could tell that guy that, uh, you know, that I did it. You should and get to hundred. What's that? <laughs> you should get to hundred. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we basically, we, we did it or we got close and picked up, uh, a, you know, one or two more this, um, this year. So, so right. I guess I'm competitive. So no, I, I love that. And this is, um, this is where I get into what it's called the art of real estate because not everything is this pure number. Yeah. You have to look at like what is the potential of this area? How is it going to grow? What's How is this equity going to grow in this property? Yeah. So, you know, people are always looking for cash flow today, you know, when, hey, like that might not grow in equity and not grow, might not grow into anything more than 100 bucks a month, yeah. you know? And so I think obviously like going with your gut sometimes and, you know, thinking holistically about a property is you know, a good way to go. And we, like I said, we did, we did a lot in one year, like 10 properties, yeah. nine properties. And, Amazing. but it was, it was not elegant either. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that. Like there's a lot of financial stresses that come along with that. We bit off more than we could chew. Right. And a lot of projects uh, took longer than they should have. We had a couple that termed out in hard money loans because it took more than 12 months. And so we're finishing those refinancing out of those finally, but um, we all have constraints, right? So it's like we have a certain amount of money, we have a certain amount of uh, time that we have or, or employees. So like a project manager can only handle so many at a time before it's yeah. more than they could effectively handle. So me as the driver, I probably put too much on my on my people to to burr. But you know, I I don't I don't love the proper the process of buying these rentals and renovating them and oh, doing the yeah. refinancing. It's like yeah, I actually at times hated it, especially the refinance part. And maybe it's been easier in the past. Everyone makes it sound easy on yeah. the Bigger Pockets podcast, but mm -hmm. going through it when the rates started going up and being self-employed, right? It was like the most difficult thing I've ever done. Yeah. And okay. so it, part of me is like, let me get to my 10 conventional mortgages and be done with this and then start to go to commercial. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What's your kind of uh, feeling about the market right now? I mean, we, in general, we are seeing a, um, a shift, yeah. obviously. We've seen prices come down quite a bit in both the retail market, but even on wholesaling lists that I'm seeing, that, that <laughs> the prices are starting to come down. You see that price renegotiated pricing coming yeah. down. What's your kind of pulse on the market and what we have to look forward to, I guess? Yeah, so I, I believe a lot. I don't know what's going to happen in the market. I'll leave that to other people. Obviously, it's tough. things are already way tougher than they were, and it may continue to go that way. Mm -hmm. I believe a lot in, in personal responsibility and creating our own destiny. So 
the mindset I've decided to have is that this is going to be the biggest opportunity that I've ever had and I need to adapt. I can't keep doing things the same way that I've done before. So we've seen that we send out great deals and we have a hard time moving them and then we have to renegotiate. So in my wholesale business, we've had to start locking things up for lower prices or if we think we locked it up low enough and we didn't, then we have to renegotiate and keep renegotiating and mm-hmm. Uh, work three times harder on dispo than we ever did before to talk with our buyers and find out, you know, match certain properties with certain buyers. So we're working a lot harder on disposition. Uh, We're trying other strategies like creative financing. So we're locking up stuff on terms and then we're going to be wholesaling those. So that's, those are deals that we're going to be doing that uh, otherwise in the past, we would have thrown those leads away. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to be getting into hopefully novations, which is where you can essentially put something under contract, find a retail buyer, and then um, replace the contract via novation agreement and then make some spread there. So we're having to get creative. But I do think that those that really hustle and buckle down right now and survive this part, there's going to be a lot of opportunity after a lot of other people go go out of business. Right. Yeah. I've seen some... Uh, some uh you know, other flippers, if you will, who, who, you know, like you, you, you described terming out on one of your loans, yeah. right? They've essentially run out of money on their project yeah. and, and capacity. And now they're just trying to dump their deal. Yeah. It'll yeah. the project. I, right? I've yeah. been there. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, nobody expects perfect, you know, right? I mean, if you were doing everything perfect, I would be like, Hey, tell me, <laughs> tell me how you're doing yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, you know, I've been in a situation where, like I said, got a property. Oh, this is great. It's going to make me a ton of money. Yeah. Rates went up. And we're, you know, stuck. But I, I take it as tuition, you know, yeah. tuition for yeah. learning how <laughs> we deal with a bad market. You know, and this is my first time in a bad market as a real estate agent, too. So I also take this as tuition. Who's like, a bad, we, bad market? <laughs> not a bad market, but like it's yeah. a tougher market. A tougher market. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. just finding new ways to market and and negotiate and write offers that aren't just 100K over or 150K yeah. over. So it's a lot more fun, actually. And I think the, the cream will rise to the top. We have so. to use more strategies now. Yeah. Everyone. Mm-hmm. As wholesalers, as agents. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the best things about wholesaling is we we are so proactive, you have to be, that if I was an agent, I would be doing the same things. I'd be pulling big lists of data, I'd be building a team of Filipinos uh, and, and cold calling all day long for for leads, for seller leads. And then when you find one that's a really juicy deal then maybe instead of listing it, maybe you take it down yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have one right now in, uh, in Tillamook. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say the price. I might send this out to my list. I'm not sure. But we locked it up for, uh, for 280 Hopefully by the time the podcast is out, I've made my decision already. So we locked it up for 280 This thing we could list for 399 right now. Wow. Nice. So yeah. we could wholesale that deal. We could buy that, take it down, and put it on the market. So that's one thing that we're going to be doing. Like, okay, if it's harder to find cash buyers for deals now, but we're getting more and better deals, like, let's take them down and relist them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people just need to be doing more strategies. Yeah, interesting. Actually, let's talk a little bit about how you find deals. You know, in the whole, you know, like, I, I will describe what we call bandit signs. Like, everyone's driving yeah. down the street, you see the sign in the corner, we buy houses cash. Yeah. Now I've heard you say, you've talked about it twice, about having a team in the Philippines doing yeah. your, your prospecting for you. So how are you finding your deals? Okay, so we do, we have a website. So we get some leads from our website. Not very many, but they're super hot when we get them. 
that deal in Tillamook as a website lead. So they're just motivated because they're coming to you to be like, yeah, hey, they're I Google need searching. They're like, how to sell my house fast for cash. And uh -huh. then they see your website and they fill out the form. And if they've done that, this is like red hot. Yeah. yeah. And you get, and if it's 10 p.m. at night, you still call them at 10 p.m. And, yeah. And, uh, and set that appointment for the next morning. So this website, we do direct mail. We do cold calling and uh, JVs. So people that you know are in our market that have a deal and where they have leads and they want to help with it, we'll you know do a JV agreement with them. Mm -hmm. And we do text message blasts. Okay. So those are our main marketing channels. Interesting. How do you on the on their prospecting? How are you identifying who's a potential seller? Are you just calling through the phone book randomly, or how do you identify? <laughs> Who to call? Yeah, the great question. We call those lists our marketing lists. So the bread and butter for us has always been driving for dollars. So we have a driver and that person uses an app and they drive around neighborhoods mm -hmm. and they just pin all the bad houses. Mm. So we try to set a set number per week to have the driver pin. There's also um, probates, there's evictions, there's notice of defaults, there's divorce. Those are like small lists, but have much higher motivation. Mm -hmm. So you have to be doing those. Uh, as with anything, you have to be doing it consistently for a long period of time. Because with the driving for dollars list, we might go months without a deal from it. And then all of a sudden we get two or we get three. And you you know weigh how much we made against how much we spent to build it. Mm -hmm. And same thing with... Um, Divorce, you know, it might be six months between divorce deals, but when you like put a process in place and then you just, it happens on autopilot because you put the person in place and they pull it and it happens every single week. Um, at the end of the year, you look how much money you made versus how much you spent to make that happen. And, uh, and that's how we make a decision, which list to keep and which to do, do away with. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And you know, we go to a lot of real estate investing events. I'm sure you have a lot of people come up to you and ask you, how do I get started in wholesaling? How would yeah. you, what would you say to someone who asked you that question? I would say to go find a deal. So if someone has absolutely no money, they mm -hmm. could door knock. If someone has some money, let's say a few hundred dollars, they could cold call. Actually, you could cold call for free also just with your cell phone. But ideally to do it at enough volume that you'll need to actually get a deal in a place like Portland you'd want to pull a list. So I would recommend starting with, say, absentee owner list. Mm -hmm. You could do out-of-state absentee owner if you wanted or just absentee owner. You want to set some filters so that you don't have any things that have been recently sold. So you might do last market sale date is three years or older. So that way there's been some equity buildup during that time. You may want to exclude newer homes. So set the filters to like the year 2000 and earlier. And a title company can pull that list for you for free. So title companies have sales departments. You don't need to spend money on PropStream or any of these softwares to pull lists. Like a title company can get you the list for free. Um, what you do need to spend money on is skip tracing. So I think it's like 13 cents per address or something like that. But that means for 130 bucks, you could skip a thousand addresses and then cold call them. And so I would use Mojo Dialer. There's some other ones out there, but if I wanted to get started, that's what I would do. And that's, yeah. you know, that's really the barrier to entry that most people won't do that or they won't do it with any sort of consistency for long enough to get a deal. Can you explain skip tracing real quick? Skip tracing is when you take a list of addresses and that is, um, and, and you, 
the, the list of addresses will typically come with the owner's name, first name and last name, and then the owner's address, which may be the same as the property address or maybe different. Mm -hmm. And then you send it to a company. There's a lot of them out there, so let's Google it. And they send you back that same list with phone numbers for the owners. Okay. That's great. So if I was an agent, you know, I'd be doing the same thing. It's right. like we we're just talking about this yeah. in our office. Right. We're going through some cold leads right now and uh, that we got, you know, months ago. And <clears throat> and we had this guy that treated my caller, uh, Taylor, my sales guy, very rudely. And and Taylor's like, well, you know, what do you want to sell for? He's like, well, you make me an offer. <laughs> So Taylor's like, I need to see it. So he sets the appointment for Monday and, and I tell Taylor, hey, Taylor, I don't, I don't think that, I'm not sure if this guy's actually a seller. He, he may just be, you know, everything's for sale for the right price type of guy. I said, call that guy back and just ask him directly. Like, hey, are you, do you actually want to sell this? So Taylor calls him back and goes, hey, excuse me, am I, am I going to be wasting my time if I come out on Monday? Or do you actually want to sell this? And the guy's like, F yeah, I need to sell it. I need to pay, get this thing sold and pay my ex-wife. So <laughs> like at, being direct with questions um, really helps with these conversations. But our takeaway from that is Taylor is also a realtor, right? So he does, he does this for me to get wholesale deals, but he could take uh, the, you know, the, the throwaway wholesale deals where they want full price and, right. and list those. Mm -hmm. So we were just saying like, man, if, if I was a realtor, I'd be doing this exact same thing. Yep. Be pulling big lists. And using some software and like cranking cranking dials, the proactive way is the best way. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it's the only way I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, probably absolutely. better ways for realtors, but absolutely. Yeah. I always tell my team and 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 mentees, pick up the phone. Don't yeah. be afraid to pick up the phone. Just call. Be direct. Yeah. And you know, find out their motivation. Like yes. You're saying like, do you really need to sell? Yes. You know. Um, what are some like you know? new for new licensees new new uh want to be a wholesaler is there like what do i say <laughs> you know like sure is there a script you can share with the uh, the listeners yeah so the script that most people use and many people that are sellers have heard it doesn't matter it's um ring 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 hello yeah hi i'm i know this calls out of the blue but i was calling about a house i believe you have on main street and they'll go yeah well i I just wanted to see if you consider an offer on that property there. And then they may be like, well, what kind of offer? And then our next question is, well, if we could pay all cash and close quickly, what would be, and, and take it as is, what would be the best price that you could do? And then they may give a number or they may not. Whether they do or don't, we now have the conversation going. Then we're going to conditions. We'll ask questions about the condition. Hey, so what kind of work does the house need? Is there any deferred maintenance? How's the roof? How old are the kitchens and bathrooms? You know, if I were to give you a $10,000 gift card to Home Depot, what would you use it on for your house? So we'll ask questions like that for condition. We'll want to know timeline like, hey, you know, ideally, when would you have this sold? Is it within the next two months, three months? If we could reach a deal on price, <laughs> would you sell within the next 30 days? We'll ask questions about motivation. So the the, the best question is... <laughs> Sounds like a great property. Why would you consider selling? You just got to sound like that's how you have to deliver it. Take one, Columbus. Yeah, that's that's how you have to deliver it. It's like you're so baffled and befuddled. Like, uh -huh. why would you consider selling it? And then people will come and you know, more often than not, tell you why. 
And uh, asking again about the timeline is a great way to pull out motivation. Mm -hmm. I can't sell it until two months. Okay, awesome. Yeah, not, not a problem. What, hey, let me ask you this. What's happening in two months? What's going on? So we'll ask like layered questions and try to dig deeper and dig deeper to find out someone's motivation. And then, so we uh, talked about price, timeline, uh, motivation, condition. So those are the four, the four things that we try to touch on in every one of those calls. Awesome. Wow. Now you, I heard you say you have four or five Filipinos calling? Uh, we have two gals in the Philippines. Okay. Yeah. We have, a, we have a gal in the Philippines too. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. I love them. And, uh, I, I used to do the calling myself. Then I hired uh, Dylan to call, but he's not doing acquisitions. So then I needed to replace him. Mm -hmm. And during COVID, I couldn't find an American to work for $20 an hour making cold calls. Mm -hmm. I tried and tried because I really believe that you get the best results with someone that's right next to you. Yeah. That you can train and give them live feedback. And so as a last resort, because I'd tried Filipinos before and, you know, it didn't work for me. Uh, but as a last resort, I went back there and found two girls who are very reliable, very nice, and very good. Yeah, awesome. But you know, you have to—that—that's a whole other topic. That I'm sure there's people more qualified <laughs> than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's tough. Like you know, quality. I'm not gonna say you can definitely get good quality by outsourcing, but it's tough when they're on a whole different time zone and across the world. So yes, I'd say the key thing is for anyone that's gonna do it is you have to pay for the call recording. And then listen to them and then give them feedback because they're always not going to be good in the beginning. And that's just that that's normal. And then, but you have to train them and then they have to show that they can learn, take your feedback and then they can learn and they could and improve like their uh, tone of voice on the phone. They could sound happier and they can not sound like they're sleeping. Yeah. That's one that they'll, <laughs> yeah. oftentimes it's the middle of the night, right? So they all yeah. sound sleepy and yeah. Um, but you have to pay for the call recording and then make sure that they show improvement. And if they don't, yeah. then you need to cut. Um, cut them. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, see any, any, uh, wrap up questions you want to have? Yeah, no, I just, I mean, obviously this is great. Um, if people are looking to find you or get a hold of you, how can they, how can they find you? So I'll give my cell phone number, which is five zero three eight nine one zero six four three. You could send me an email, Scott at coast to coast house buyers.com. So number two, or just find me on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, my Instagram is scottdallinger.realestate. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for all you've given to our listeners today. Um, really very informative and valuable. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, really happy to be on this. Great podcast. Really enjoyed listening to the episodes and the lead up to this. So, yeah, keep it up. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.